0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1325 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday and today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. First time users have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com promo code locked on and today's show we myself talking about a bunch of different things actually mailbag questions, the latest news, some options that were picked up on Tuesday from the Hawks, a little bit of a preview of Wednesday's game in Cleveland and uh, lots of uh, content across the board basically at this point if you missed it I definitely recommend listening to the two-part episode that I dropped on Monday and Tuesday with my friend Robbie Calland of Uprock Sports and Dime. Mostly Easter Conference over-unders, but also some Hawks talk on part two of that show and some Jay Crowder stuff at the beginning of part one of that two-part episode. Robbie is always a popular guest in a lot of different ways. And uh, we'll sort of get back into our uh, beat of just the Hawk stuff on today's podcast. But that's sort of an Easter Conference look ahead. We'll do some more with Robbie in the near future as well on the West. But um, yeah, definitely recommend subscribing to the podcast. Check out this podcast across the board, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube on the video side, et cetera. And make us your first listen each and every day. Thank you for listening as always. And we'll dive into the show right now. So basically, the big news of the day is not huge news necessarily, but it was announced by the Hawks after some reporting by Adrian Wojnarowski and Tim Montemps of ESPN. It's an annual thing, and it's the options on on Aneka Kongwu and Jalen Johnson. So the Hawks have mostly had complete no-brainers in recent years when it comes to rookie-scale contracts and the team options that they actually come in. This time around, the Hawks had two rookie-scale options to quote-unquote decide on, and it was the third-year option for Jalen Johnson and the fourth-year option for Kongwu. Um, basically I think both were absolute no brainers and no brainer almost isn't even strong enough for what the O'Connor decision was the short explanation of why, why, and kind of how this is all happening is because first round picks basically have two guaranteed years on contracts and then year three and year four of those contracts on, on the rookie scale are team options, but they have to be decided on before the previous season. So as Jalen Johnson enters his second season, the Hawks had to decide whether to pick up his third year option. For Akangwu entering his, his, his third season, his fourth-year option is up for debate or decision time for, from the team side. Um, with that said, the Hawks finally announced on Tuesday that both guys had their options picked up. There was no suspense here really at all. Johnson will make $2.9 million for next season in year three. Okonwu, Okonwu will be making $8.1 million in year four. And those numbers, by the way, are dictated why, by why, where they were drafted. So Okongwu being a much higher draft pick, and number six, number six overall, gets a lot more money. Johnson being obviously all the way down at 20, gets less money. De'Andre Hunter is on a big contract in year four because he was a top five pick. It's all based on where you were drafted, but that's those are all locked in. There's no decision to be made there other than just yes or no on those deals. Generally speaking, fourth-year options get declined more often than third-year options simply because you have more information. And they're actually more money as well because – Basically guys have to almost show nothing at all or have real big issues in either injury wise or something like that to get to have a third year option declined. If you show anything at all, it's so cheap, you know, less than $3 million for a guy that you obviously liked a couple of years ago to pick up that third year option, fourth year options, you know, a Congo option options, real money, $8 million is a lot of money. So if a Congo was just a, a total bust, they could potentially move on from that but and it, it does happen more often than third year options but obviously kongwu is not a bust he's actually quite good they obviously want to have him long term and even beyond that fourth year uh, the fourth year option having him for restrictive free agency or a or an extension and match rights all that stuff is uh, very vital so clearly no brainer to pick up the Kongwu's option at this point in time so basically what i would say is, is this is basically procedural um there was never any real doubt about this whether the hawks exercise both, both options much anything contractually either, it's kind of a ho hum kind of thing. But when Woj and Tim report on stuff, people get excited, start asking questions. So that's the latest on what that actually happened on Tuesday. Um, this is basically a formality, but it did happen, and both guys are now signed officially for their uh, for the rookie scale contracts for third year for Johnson and the fourth year for Okogwu. Elsewhere, uh, practice on Tuesday. I was not in the building today, so uh, may I culpa for that? I've been bouncing around quite a bit. Day job things, braves things, et cetera. But my pal, Kevin Schnard, was in the building and was tweeting about some stuff that happened on Tuesday. And one thing, and at least the thing that I think is the biggest deal, is that David Millen said that McDonough is still limited to shooting at this point and is not practicing in full. The Hawks have not said this, by, by the way, just to be clear, and I'm not reporting this, but I certainly have some pause now with regard to the opener. I've sort of been giving you some couched information along the way, like you know, I've never thought Bogey was a lock to be back for the opener. The Hawks were obviously aiming for that, have said as much. But the opener, as I record this, is eight days away. As you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's seven days away. And if he's not practicing, I will be relatively surprised now if Bogey is in the lineup on opening night. Now, is that the end of the world? No, it's not. But I've gotten a lot of, a lot of different questions about, like, how the Hawks might navigate things if Bogey is not available in a game that counts. Because right now, in you know, preseason games, they, tr- they treated the first one pretty seriously in, uh, in Abu Dhabi against the Bucs. But at the same time, Bogey was obviously a key part of his team. If he's not healthy, that's a question they have to actually address. So as far as that question is sort of presented to me, I think the Hawks would probably go with a nine-man rotation if Bogey was unable to play in the opener and everybody else was available. And right now, there are no other injuries that I'm aware of. So Troy Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, those guys were locked in as a starter, sparring injury. Um, and I think if that in a game that mattered in the opener, I would guess – that the other four guys off the bench that would play would be the locks, which are Kong Wu and Justin holiday. Those guys are just locked in to be in the rotation, basically on opening night. And then I think that they would also use Aaron holiday um, as the primary perimeter guy backup across the board. And then Jalen Johnson as the backup power forward. Now, if they use a 10th guy, they could be, it could be AJ Griffin. It could be Tyrese Martin. If I had to guess, it could even be someone like Jarrett Culver. I kind of doubt it at this point it could be Kaminsky, I suppose, but, for me, based on what I've seen so far and also who, who else is in this rotation between um, the Holiday Brothers and Jalen, I think that they would probably go with either Griffin or Martin. Griffin obviously presents them a lot more upside with the shooting that he brings than obviously without bogey, shooting would be at a, at a premium for the Hawks. But they have used Martin a little bit ahead of Griffin so far through the two preseason games, so we'll see. Maybe on Wednesday we'll have more information on that as Griffin has more time on the floor. He has been out of action a few different times across the summer. So that's part of this as well. And Martin is, you know, four years older uh, than 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 AJ Griffin is at this point in time. Martin's probably a more reliable defender. I do think that Martin might be a little bit overrated defensively because rookies are bad. It's not that's not, not a Tyrese Martin thing. It's that rookies struggle defensively as almost a general rule, unless you're just a special defender, which I don't think he necessarily projects to be. But anyway, I'm pretty confident in the nine guys I listed. Again, the, the five starters, the two the two Holiday brothers, Jalen Johnson and the Kong Wu, as guys that I think would play in the opener without Bogey. If that 10th spot, if they were to even use 10 guys between Griffin and Martin, and we'll see. Elsewhere on the practice front from Tuesday, DeJounte Murray went through a full practice after he had the back spasms that cost him uh, that second game in, in Abu Dhabi. I was told then it was not a huge concern, and him practicing in full today eliminates any real concern for me. I don't think there's any uh, question about him being ready to play. If there's a recurrence, that'd be more of a question mark, but right now he seems to be on track to play on Wednesday and then on Friday and then beyond. Um, also, Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan was asked about if he expected Jalen Johnson to play on Wednesday. And he said, quote, absolutely. That's for Kevin Chouinard and Lauren Williams. And listen, uh, we want to see Jalen. Everybody wants to see Jalen after he did not travel to Abu Dhabi with the illness. So he'll have his debut on Wednesday. I'd imagine the Hawks want to see him early and often in those games on Wednesday and, and Friday. So uh, sort of circle that at this stage and we'll uh, we'll see plenty of Jalen Johnson in the future, I would imagine. All right, we'll get to some Jay Crowder stuff in a moment, as well as some Top 100, some GM survey, plenty of stuff to get to on today's podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option this year, check out the award-winning app at PrizePix. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can attest to that because I've been playing on it for quite some time across various sports. I'm really enjoying the daily grind of going through all of the numbers. All you have to do is pick two to five players and weigh in on whether they'll have more or less than a certain number of points, rebounds, assists, or any other stat that you might be interested in across sports the 10 times on the entry that's always a lot of fun and uh, you're not competing with other people actually instead of going just against the projections that are available at Prize picks and they offer numbers across sports that includes nba college basketball wnba nfl college football mlb nhl pga soccer esports nascar tennis mma boxing cricket and much more entries can be done in just a minute or less it's just that easy And PrizePix has safe and fast withdrawals. They're operating across the board now in more than 30 states and Canada. Download the app at PrizePix in your app store or go to prizepix.com. to sign up early and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users... Have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prospects will give you $100. If they give you $50, that's the same thing. 100% of whatever you deposit up to $100, Prospects will match it. Do not forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for that instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Prospects. All right, and I've got a few questions about Jay Crowder. Uh, I did talk about this a little bit ago, a couple of weeks ago, I, even when Crowder just first wanted out of Phoenix, reportedly. I think it was Zach Lowe but kind of brought up the Hawks as a potential option for Jay Crowder in a very hypothetical sense. And then on Monday, I kind of reacted almost live with Robbie Calland on the beginning of that part one of, of two about Jay Crowder, and the Hawks were officially kind of tied to Crowder via a report from Shams Charania of The Athletic. I'm not picking on Shams by any means, but That that report was very light on detail I'm uh, kind of in the business of reading between the lines on this stuff and kind of getting some background information. Um, he also used a reference to, to, to discussions from, quote, previous weeks and months, end quote. I've poked around this a little bit behind the scenes. Um, nothing is imminent that I can gather at this stage. I think talks are pretty old at this point, maybe even dating back to, like, pre-Moharkless trade. Like, it's probably talked about. In fact, I can pretty much confirm the Hawks have at least called on Jake Crowder at some point along the way, but I think it's been a little while since the talks actually happened um, I do believe just as a short version here, I think Crowder would help the Hawks, but there are basically only three paths that I can potentially even see to a deal. One would be the what I talked about with Robbie, like a Justin Holiday based package with Justin Holiday plus something else. I think perhaps the most likely construction of all if this were to happen, and by the way, that's a huge if, and I would say probably not going to happen, but still um, would be like a Justin Holiday and Jalen Johnson package. Number one, Holiday um, is a useful player for Phoenix, who's trying to win now. Um, Johnson makes more money than a minimum guy makes and also would be a future facing guy for the Suns to kind of use in the future and I'm sure that Phoenix would rather have Crowder than Holiday so that maybe you have to throw in a little bit more in addition to Holiday in addition to to sort of matching salaries Um, the other option of I guess this is option number two would be something around Bogdanovich I know a lot of Hawks fans were talking about Bogey as a potential option to get Crowder Um, number one I'd rather have Bogey that's something I just want to say out there at the top. Uh, Bogey, especially for his shooting on this Hawks roster, I think would be a, bit, a bigger priority for me than getting Jeff Crowder. At the same time, um, Phoenix is looking to at least add a little bit more shooting and creation potential in the perimeter. So there's some complications, though. Bogey makes about double the money that Crowder does, and that probably means taking on someone like Dario Saric or Landry Shamit back from the Suns, which I don't love doing if I'm the Hawks. Also, again, like I think that Bogey's perimeter shooting is really important to this team, and his secondary creation is really important to this team. Um, Crowder a good player, but I'd rather have bogey. And also the last kind of path to a potential Crowder pursuit would be like a bigger deal involving John Collins. I don't see that really happening though. Now that was another question people sort of asked me is like, could this involve Collins? I mean, it could, I suppose, but if this is back in July and the Suns were trying to put a big offer on the, on the table around Crowder and like a couple of picks and whatever else for Collins, that would have seemed plausible to me but The Hawks are still trying to win now, and you like Crowder's a starting level power forward, but he's not as good as John Collins or even close, so that's part of the deal here as well. Um, I don't think the Hawks are looking to make that kind of shakeup right now on the eve of the season. And uh, you know, while Collins has been on trade talks for a long time, the Hawks have been asking for a lot for him, which is why he's still on the team, so that's part of the deal there. So, and also, I, I've seen some popular like Jake Crowder and Cam Johnson kind of thing for John Collins. Um, number one, Crowder kind of wants to get away from Cam Johnson, not like a personal thing, but obviously the Suns wanted to play Cam Johnson. Uh, and part of the thing with Crowder is he wants to play. Like, I think almost certainly his role in Phoenix right now would have been larger than what he had would have in Atlanta because while Cam Johnson's a good player, he's not as good as John Collins, not quite as firmly entrenched. Crowder's a veteran. And I think that Crowder would have a harder time getting on the floor in Atlanta than he would in Phoenix. But anyway, overall, what I've been saying is there's not like an easy move. Are there constructions that possibly could work? Sure, there are. I, I think that that Holiday and Johnson package does make some sense if you were just like a level Jake Crowder. I personally would not do that. That was one of the questions I got was like, would you be interested in this Justin Holiday, Jalen Johnson thing? I wouldn't do that. It's not an atrocious deal if you're the Hawks. It's definitely a present-facing move because I think the the upgrade from Holiday to Crowder is an upgrade, but not a huge one. And they're a little bit different players in some ways. And uh, I think Jalen Johnson, I probably a little bit higher on him than the league is at this point, but that's a, a that's a, a pretty hefty price to be paying in the short term. And also you're weakening your, your depth even more because right now, both holiday and Jalen are in your rotation. If you turn two of those guys into one, you're a little bit shorter than you were before. And you already kind of lost some depth in the offseason. So Anyway, not perfect trade partners, these two teams. And uh, with, the, with the Suns, honestly, this is a big part of this, too. They're not a rebuilding team. The Suns want some stuff back for Crowder that actually helps them now. And I think Justin Holiday fits that bill. But for a lot of these, like, you know, maybe teams like trying to sell, like, like Utah or teams like that, they're, like, are trying to, like, transition it'd be a little bit easier to get a third team involved, whatever you need to do. Phoenix wants to have good stuff back. And uh, I'm not sure that sort of, uh, in fact, I am sure it probably adds a little bit of uh, complexity to the discussion. So my overall feeling after doing some digging in the last day or so is that this is, does not feel imminent. The Hawks could make a move for Crowder would not like absolutely stun me, but I have been kind of told that it's not quite close at this point in time. And I don't expect it to happen. If I certainly had to guess, I would say this does not happen anytime soon. Okay, um, from there. Uh, the annual GM survey came out in the last week or so every year. John Schumann of NBA.com puts together a survey of the league's GMs for NBA.com. And it's a uh, controversial thing always uh, without fail. It's sort of engineered to be controversial in some respects. There are always some crazy votes. It's, uh, it's kind of always been questioned on like whether GMs actually do it or whether they kind of pass it off to staffers like the AP poll in college, college football does, uh, or the college, sorry, the coaches poll does in college football, but uh, alas, that's not John Schumann's fault, who's very good, by the way. John Schumann's one of the best writers in the in the country. He's excellent. Um, and as a note, GMs are not allowed to vote for their own guys. So if you want to, whoever's voting for this between Travis Schlank or Landry Schammett, uh, Landry Schammett, Landry Fields, um, back in the Suns conversation. But uh, anyway, you can't vote for yourself or guys your own team. It's always tough conversation. It always create some news cycles. I wanted to kind of flag some stuff that pertains to the Hawks and kind of talk about it real quickly here. On the team side, six different teams from the East got at least one vote as a top four team in the in the conference, but the Hawks were not among them. The six teams that got votes were Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Miami, and Cleveland. As I said on the over-under show, I think I like the Hawks better than the Heat and the Cavs, and the Nets are just one giant shrug, but I certainly think that the Hawks would be a top four team for me ahead of Miami and Cleveland. You can certainly debate on Brooklyn, but uh, the only teams that I kind of have firmly ahead of the Hawks, and even then firmly is kind of relative, but teams that I think should be ranked ahead of the Hawks are Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. Everybody else, um, I think either I have behind the Hawks or in the Brooklyn category of just giant question marks. Anyway, that's a little bit of a, of a, of a nudge uh, sort of against the Hawks uh, on this GM survey. The Hawks also got no, got no votes for most improved team. They did get at least one vote for the league's most efficient offense, but not in the top six. That's a little bit of a weird one after they were number two in the league last year. Uh, by the way, last year, the Hawks were number one in the league in the promising young core voting. This year, they got no votes at all. Now, I'm assuming that has to do with Trey Young maybe graduating out of the young core conversation, but that's not listed in there. So I'm not sure if I'm reading between the lines, but that would be kind of the explanation that I would at least buy, but we'll see. Um, Individual stuff was pretty sparse for the Hawks. Trey finished fourth in the best point guard in the NBA question. Um, The only thing that really bothered me about that was that he's behind Chris Paul. Uh, I love Chris Paul. It is extremely silly in 2022 to have Chris Paul ahead of Trey Young on a list about current play. Uh, Trey is a lot better than Chris Paul in 2022. Now, again, Chris Paul is a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. Uh, Right now, today, Trey is better than Chris Paul. It's not particularly close. So there's there's that. Anyway, the Hawks didn't have anybody else get votes for any other positions. Not a huge surprise there. Obviously, you're you're really only voting for one guy as the best blank in the NBA. Trey's the only one that's really uh, in in the mix for that. so, yeah, we'll leave that there for now. Uh, Murray got at least one vote in the most underrated player acquisition category, but was not in the top five. He was number three in the most surprising move category. I think that was pretty surprising on some level. Um, there was some respect for AJ Griffin as a steal of the draft. He was number three on the steal of the draft category behind Jalen Duran and Tari Eason. I think I probably would have had Griffin maybe even number one on that list. Um, Tyree Smart got a vote as well. So, shout out to Tyree Smart for being a potential steal um, on the GM survey. And uh, then the, the one that was probably the worst was that Trey Young got zero votes for best passer in the league. Now, I know I'm always saying that I think Trey's passing is his best skill, and he's an amazing passer. Uh, I can't imagine not voting for him, at least considering that. Um, I think Steph Curry got a vote. That's uh, outrageous. And Steph's a good passer. Trey is a much better passer than Steph Curry. Not even close. Um, the other ones you're going to least understand, Jokic, Luka, Chris Paul, LeBron, Those guys are all totally fine as best pastor choices, but Trey is a lot better pastor than Steph. So there's that. Okay. Anyway, the GM survey, not a big deal by any means. That's why I didn't wait. That's why I didn't, uh, sorry, break in with immediate coverage of that when it came out. But now that we're here, sort of in a mailbag question uh, kind of podcast, that's where we are on the GM survey. And uh, one more here in the Newsy section, Um, the top 100 lists have uh, come and gone at this point for the most part. I uh, probably could do even more on this, but I'm trying not to feed the beast too much. But there were four lists that I came across that I will touch on briefly here. Um, one of them is actually an internal list. So, Bet online did a top 50 list that was done in partnership with Locked On, um, and the host records and clips for the rollout. I, I'm on that recording um, by proxy. Um, there are two Hawks in the top 50, as you might expect It's Trey and DeJounte. Uh, Trey's number 17, DeJounte's number 24. There were a bunch of non Hawk stuff that I didn't like, honestly. Um, Chris Paul's in the top 10. That's a silly ranking. Again, I love Chris Paul, but that's too high. Evan Mobley is in a top 25. That's too high for present day list. LaMelo Ball, same thing, top 30. No thanks. Um, Carl Anthony Towns is number 37. That's too low, like way too low. Um, as for the Hawk stuff, Trey is uh, 17 on the bet online list. That's too low for me. As I said before, I'd have him ahead of Chris Paul. I think he's better than Dan Lillard at this stage as well. There are a few others as well that i probably have Trey ahead of. Um, I'm not trying to be negative about this. Uh, Dejounte at 24 is too high for me. Actually, I'd have him probably closer to like 35 or so. That's nothing. That's not a huge gap, but like he's ahead of Towns. He's ahead of Gobert. He's ahead of Bam Adebayo. Like those guys are better than him. I think. If Murray proves me wrong, I'm happy to happy to say so. Uh, Jalen Brown, another guy that I think is probably better than Dejounte at this point. But anyway, some good respect for Dejounte and uh, Trey. Probably a little bit too low on that internal bet online slash locked on list. Um, CBS Sports came out with their top 100 list. They were actually the only main one that I have seen that had six guys on the Hawks in the top 100 um, bogey at 94 is a reasonable placement for the record. I probably have bogey somewhere in that range. The one that uh, I'll point out is that they were way too too low on Capella. So Capella's 91 for CBS. Uh, that's we'll come back to this later on. That's too low. De'Aubert uh, Hunter is number 78 Collins at 68 Murray at 41 and Trey at 14. Um, SI. No bogey for Sports Illustrated. That's not a huge surprise. I think bogey, not having bogey is totally reasonable. in the top 100, I think. Collins at 73, Hunter at 63, Capella at 62, Murray at 37, and Trey at 16. And then ESPN, probably the most high profile of all of these, did not have Hunter in the top 100. They had bogey at at 100, Capella at 79, Collins 73, Murray 42, and Trey at 16. So some stuff here to hit on. Um, Generally speaking, I would have bogey in my like 110 to 85 kind of tier like I think anywhere in there would be fine for him the injury is a question mark his defense slipped a little bit so that's that's all That's not him being on there him being 100 him being 94 all totally fine Capella Uh, Capella being 91 is just very silly I think he's much better than that Um, he was in the top 65 for Sports Illustrated he was number 79 for ESPN I think 79 is too low as well not quite as bad as 91 I think Capella probably somewhere in the 60 range um, coming off of last season where he was a little bit down two years ago top 50 for me pretty comfortably um but that's where we are we'll see how that plays out but i'm pretty confident in the uh, better than 91 listing there hunter i've said a few times on the show in the last couple of months he's very difficult to rank because if you go by last year he shouldn't be in the top 100 like he was not a top 100 player last year or anything close um the metrics will paint that picture for you if you watched him all that stuff but Two years ago, when he was playing really well in a short sample size, he looked really good. And there's also, there's always a little bit of projection. It's not like a listing of last year's rankings. This is for this year. Now, I think having him ahead of Capella for CBS, having him ahead of Collins for Sports Illustrated, those are very silly listings for right now. Now, if Hunter has a great year, he could easily be ahead of those guys. But with what we know right now, I, I couldn't possibly have him ahead of Collins or Capella on a list like this. Um, I get why that happens. You're, just, you're doing some projection there. I think generally speaking, as a former top five pick, he gets a little bit, a little bit more respect than he maybe uh, should at this stage. But still, I do believe in the, in the talent. So, And he's and by the way, he's looked really good in the preseason so far. So that, that's really encouraging. 400, these came out pre the actual games of the preseason, so we'll see. But um, I think the, there's kind of a wild listing on him. Like the fact that he went, he was not in the top 100 for ESPN, but was in the top 65 for Sports Illustrated kind of, kind of paints the picture. There's a pretty wide gap on what, uh hunter could be this year collins is basically in the same range for all these for all of these lists he's between 68 and 73 on all of them that's too low for me i think he's a top 60 player 55 ish probably but uh it's not like offensively bad for me i think he's a little bit better than this but i've kind of famously been a little bit higher on collins than most the last couple years so there you go um murray as i said before probably appropriate like he's 37 for si 41 for cbs 42 for espn that's about right. I think somewhere between 30 and 45 anywhere is fine. Um, and then Trey, as I said before, I think Trey is probably better than people think he is at this stage. I think Trey is probably underrated overall at this stage um, after last season, I think he was underrated for most of last year. Uh, it's not crazy to me having 14th, um, but it's probably on every one of these lists I've seen, there's like a guy or two that I'm like, all right, I think Trey's better than that guy. So maybe something like 10, 12, somewhere in there for me. And we'll see. Defensively, if he takes a step forward, he can be in that top 10. Offensively, I said this before, I think he's probably a top three or four player in the league. That's how good he is right now in offense. So uh we'll see. We'll come back to that as we uh, always do on the show about like his impact and stuff like that. But um, this is, I will say, in terms of compar- comparing this to previous years of top 100 lists, this is less offensive. There were a few bad ones, like I think Hunter ahead of Capella or Collins is pretty bad. Um, But in general like it's not that bad of a listing um i think probably the craziest one i saw um might have been murray as murray being as high as he was a Bella Lyons list for the hawks or maybe uh the fact that you know capella's 91 for cbs is pretty bad but everything else not in the crazy realm at this stage all right before we get to some mailbag questions before we get out of here a word from our sponsors on the show today all right and a couple of, of defensive questions to end the show on the podcast some mailbag stuff we'll dig in now a question from Connor who says, What would your opinion be on a bigger defensive heavy lineup of DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Akanwu, and Capella playing together? And he says, I want to see them play for low minutes, like second quarter at the start to begin to step back in. So, first, it'd be a lot of fun to watch this group. I'd be interested in it for sure. Um, they'd be good defensively, I think. Um, Collins, you know, some of the certain matchups will be pretty challenging because they're so big. Collins playing the three is something he's probably not done since he was like in high school or something. So you'd be a little bit plodding because you're playing a little bit slower. Like you have your Collins and Capella. Kongwu is a great athlete, but he's still playing the four. Um, they're very agile for bigs, both Collins and Kongwu, but still playing the three and the four, maybe a little bit slower than some. Offensively, that has have some challenges, I think, um, for similar reasons. Like Murray as a creator is fine, obviously. Hunter as a number two guy would be fine. But they have three guys who are best suited as role men, and one of them, only one of them can shoot at this point in Collins. So, I know a maybe can shoot now more, a little bit more, but nothing's been established at this point. So, that might be a challenge. Uh, overall, like I wouldn't hate seeing this as an experiment. I don't think it's going to happen, uh, but I would be fascinated by it, is the way that I would say that for uh, Connor's question. And the other one comes from Red to play in the YouTube comments. So, shouts to YouTube. Uh, I know some people in the YouTube comments don't love me, and that's okay. But uh, hopefully, everybody's enjoying the show. Um, does John Collins really fit on a team trying to be better defensively? Also, his salary kind of makes it hard to keep Hunter and Big O, and even and even Murray for the long run. Are there any thoughts on the future fit for Collins? So, broadly speaking, to the question, and thank you again for asking it. Um, my answer would be that yes, he does fit on a team that is trying to be better defensively. Collins is not going to be Evan Mobley or Draymond Green or um, this you know uber great defensive player. But I think at this point, he is average at worst and probably better than that defensively as as a four, especially at the four. Like if he's at the five, different story. But for the most part, he's playing the four. And I think he's pretty good at the four defensively. Now he does have weaknesses and strengths like anybody else does. Um, Weaknesses defensively against like smaller guys. He's not the quickest in the world and playing in space against like small ball units. Like if, if you're playing Jason Tatum at the four, um, he's going to have some trouble, but against like a normal four. He's pro- totally fine there at strengths wise. I think he's about, he's definitely above average as a backstop rim protector as a four Um rebounder as a four. He's pretty good. Again, as a five, not so much at, at the four though. He's better than most Um, Collins has come a long way in terms of his defensive feel and his positioning. He's pretty, he's pretty reliable defensively these days. The problem is his reputation is not really caught up to that just yet. He was bad early in his career. That's definitely true. He has a reputation nationally, especially as a tweener, that because it seems like you know, he played center a lot early in his career. I will definitely own this. I thought he was going to be a center coming into the league because of his defense, mostly. Um, but he's become quick. He's obviously lost some weight. He's become much more perimeter capable. But he's not good enough on, de- on defense to kind of anchor your team as a small ball center, and that kind of stuck to him. But I think, generally speaking, he's a pretty good defender at this point, at the four, if you're using him properly. Um, On the salary point, it's not hard to fit him in, really, at all, actually. Um, For one, Collins is only making $23.5 to $26.5 million in the next four seasons. That's a lot of money, but it's a good value, actually, for what he brings to the table. With the salary cap going where it is, by the end of the deal, he'll be making about 17% of the salary cap. That's really not a lot of money for a high-end starting player that's like a top 50 guy in the league. That's kind of what I think Collins is. Um, Even if you thought he was more of like a top 75 guy, that's still good value for where he actually is on the contract that he's going to be signing for the future. Like this year, he probably needs to be a little bit better than that, but he's also making less money now than he will be at the end of the contract. So eventually, the big thing for the Hawks, is they have to figure out their willingness to pay the tax. Um, Trey's locked in, of course. They've got other guys locked into money that they could probably get off of, but Trey's not going anywhere. They're going to have to pay Murray eventually etc. But, you know, for a team that has high-end aspirations, like, they shouldn't be looking to just shed salary for John Collins. Like, they could move him in the future. They've obviously explored looking at moving him for a while now. But he's not limiting them defensively, I don't think. Um, he's an excellent offensive player. Like, do I wish he was more of a primary role man with a team in a vacuum? Yes, because he's such an awesome pick-and-roll player, but he's done a great job kind of partnering with Capella and Kongwood, being more of a perimeter-based player because he's kind of had to for the team's sake. But from a team building standpoint, like the question about like money in the in the front court is more about center, any, any, for me anyway, because of what we talked about forever. Like it's not like a new it's not a new topic. They have Capella and Kong a Wu. Collins going to be ready to start Capella. Like that's the more pressing issue in the front court. Like having Collins at his current money, which is not anywhere near the max. People always talk about he's like only oh, making the max. It's not anywhere close to the max. Anyway, long term, like they're, they're, there's a choice to be made, to be made at center. I do think that they're going to probably have to pay the tax at some point if they want to keep everybody around or close to it because um, Murray's has been making the max or close to it in a couple of years. But Collins is not the problem there. Like, in fact, if you look at it closely, and I know this is not like an expertise that everybody has or something that you, know, you want to do looking long-term at the cap, his money sounds like a lot now. But in the future, think about it this way. A average, like run of the mill starter in the league in two years is gonna be making like 24 million dollars a year like right now basically if you're like a person that follows the league the last few years it's like okay starter money is like 16 million a year something like that that's like what you get to be like a solid starter Collins is better than that quite obviously but like think about this a couple of years from now it's gonna be where solid starter money is 22 to 25 million dollars a year and that's what Collins is making and he's better than that so and by the way age is not really concerned either like he's not he's, He's he's 24, I think, right now. He's not going to be over the hill by the end of the contract. So, at any rate, uh, money wise, there are definitely questions about what the Hawks are going to be willing to spend. But that's not that's that's not really on Collins. And you know, anytime I'm, I'm going to try to do a good job with this moving forward as well, it's not a concern. Like the Hawks can can being the operative word, pay everybody, anybody they have on the roster now they can keep. There's no rule against it. There's a soft cap. They can resign anybody they have on the roster now with the tax. We'll see. That's that's a spending problem of ownership. Um, So do I think that they're going to have a Kongwu and Capella on the team two years from now? No, I don't. Do I think that they're going to keep everybody between now and then? Probably not. Does that mean that Collins gets traded? He might. Um, Hunter, same thing. Like, they're going to have to pay Hunter. If if Hunter has a good year this year, he's going to make a lot of money or he's going to get a lot of money on extension. So there are some questions and some decisions to be made. But as far as, like, can you build around John Collins? Sorry, not necessarily around. Can you build with John Collins defensively Absolutely. I think that we've seen John Collins be a pretty good defender now for a couple of years and he gets better every year defensively. So I'm not worried. I know I've probably been I probably will be accused of being too high on him. That, that's OK. Um, again, he's not going to be a game changer defensively. But given his size as a traditional four in a league, that does not really have a lot of fours uh, that are like sort of in that same mold. He's pretty good defensively. So there you go. That's kind of all I got for John Collins and for this podcast today. Last thing, the Hawks do play again in Cleveland on Wednesday, their first uh, game in the United States. This year, I will not be at the game. but I'll be watching it, and we'll cover it for this podcast. Um, It's a 7 o'clock tip-off Eastern time, so keep that in mind. It's an early tip, and then the Hawks go straight from Cleveland to Birmingham. I will be in the building for that one on Friday night. That's an 8 o'clock Eastern game, um, 7 o'clock Central, local time in Birmingham. So, against the Pelicans, by the way. So, two games in three nights Um, I don't think I'm going to have podcasts between those games other than the recap of the first game. So keep that in mind as well. But we'll have wall to wall coverage, as we always do on the show, five times a week or so. Um, Please subscribe to this podcast. Um, As far as that game is concerned in Cleveland, like I think everyone's going to play in it Uh, too early to talk to tell like how much guys will play. I think it'll probably be closer now to game two than game one. I think game one was kind of an outlier, like how much guys played. I think Nate wanted to see a lot like how guys responded. But they came back, they practiced today. So, uh, a nice little test, and they'll have Jalen Johnson. If there's anything people kind of asking me like what to watch for on Wednesday, Jalen is number one on that list, followed by AJ Griffin because he's just still intriguing. Everything else is just like, you know, fig- figuring it out. Obviously, it'd be nice to see more of Trey and Ajante playing together after they did not play together in the second game in Abu Dhabi. So, there's some uh, some broader points to check in on, but I'll have all that rundown on the podcast after the game on Wednesday evening. One more time, subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify. Stitcher, YouTube, all that fun stuff It really helps us to download across platforms, subscribe across platforms, thumbs up, ratings, reviews, all that fun stuff. Share it with a friend. I really appreciate all the support on the podcast. It's going to be a fun year together. And uh, with all that said, I'll be back after the game on Wednesday. We'll see you next time.